Welcome to SECC. We pray that you are blessed today as you listen. Um, COVID, of course, has rumbled on for far too long, and, uh, and despite the fact they keep finding new sub-variants or variants, I think it's safe to say we're almost out of the woods. I know you shouldn't say that, but um, that's kind of how I feel anyway, which is good. Um, it's not been all bad for COVID, though, is it? Because um, it's meant that for nearly two years, I haven't had to sit on an aeroplane. I've wanted to go on holiday and not managed to book one. I've booked five, cancelled five, <laughs> never mind. Um, but I've not had to fly. And, uh, and as you, if you know me by now, you know I absolutely hate flying. I'd much rather take the train or the bus or walk. Um, I will take, one, I'll take a plane if I have to. Um, but uh, I'm going to tell you a story that you've heard before. The good thing about my job is if you're in it long enough, it's a bit like fashion from the 70s. It eventually becomes fashionable again. So I tell you a story 10 years ago, and it becomes relevant again 10 years later. You've forgotten probably that I said it. Um, but so once I flew home from Bangkok to London, and I've probably told you this story, but some of you have never have heard it. And I hate flying. Uh, and so I take a healthy interest in the physics of flying. And I know as well as anyone else who's a nervous flyer that how you sit directly affects how high the plane flies and how well it flies. If you relax, the plane obviously plummets to the ground and you will die. Uh, so I've saved thousands of lives, and that's not an exaggeration. And, uh, and so I sat on this aeroplane, ready, get ready to take off. People were filing on as they do. And uh, it was a 16-hour flight, non-stop, a 747 with nothing to do, because it was night time, not even the little tellies and the thing, a long time ago. And, uh, and this bloke got on, and no word of a lie, he sat down across the aisle for me like this, and he sat like that for 16 hours, fast asleep. Didn't even wake up for takeoff. Didn't even wake up for landing. And then he woke up. That's <laughs> Maureen. <laughs> and I thought, you. I hate people like you. I really hate people like you. Um, in a Christian loving way. But I thought, wow. Does he not understand flying? Because if you fall asleep, you will die. Obviously. <laughs> and if you're a nervous flyer... The, the harder you grip the sides of your chair, the safer the plane is. Everyone knows that. And I thought, well, this idiot over here is fast asleep, taking everyone with him. Anyway, but actually, as I looked at him for the 16 hours, because I couldn't sleep a wink because I cared for the whole people, um, I thought, actually, here is a man who has got his fear in the right place. He's got his fear in the right place. There's me thinking that my fear keeps a plane in the sky, which I know it doesn't really, not stupid. But, um, but his fear was in the right place. It didn't dominate him, it dominated me. I wonder this morning, how scared are you this morning? How frightened of you are you this morning? Does the thing that you fear define you? You remember the monster that lived under your bed when you were a child or in the closet or just in the dark corner of your bedroom? Has that monster grown up with you? Has that monster become almost a friend or someone that you have to walk along the road with of your life? Does it follow you everywhere you go? What are you scared of this morning? And how big is your fear? How irrational have you become trying to control your life with that fear sitting on your shoulder? We're looking at Psalm 27, our series of talks I've titled Words of Hope. 
or words of hope from the Psalms. And Psalm 27 is a wonderful psalm, a wonderful song. These are all songs, poems, uh, written a long time ago, well over 2,000 years ago, three and a half thousand years ago, probably quite a long time ago, right in the Old Testament. Before Jesus, the Old Testament, you have the nation of Israel. You remember stories like Moses and Noah. Um, and then they become, uh, they become a nation with a temple in Jerusalem. And of course, you can still visit a bit of that temple now, although not the original. Um, and so they went there. The, the people of Israel were God's people in the Old Testament. Jesus, of course, was a Jew. Uh, he was the Jewish, he is the Jewish Messiah, but he's the Messiah, the, the Savior for the whole world, Jews and non-Jews. And so it all kind of hangs together like that. And it's an amazing story from the beginning to the end of the Bible. So these, these songs were written for worship. We sing on a Sunday morning, and they would have sung some of these as they worship God at the temple in Jerusalem. So it's quite, it's quite humbling to think you've got something that's a lot very, very old that people would have sung together as they worship God in Israel. I find that quite amazing. The title of this psalm is simply, The Lord is, the, is my light and my salvation. And it's a psalm that simply reminds us that we can trust God and defeat fear. So I'm going to read it to you now. Um, it's just 14 verses. It's not too long. But let me just ask you to do one thing as I read it, because we believe that God's word is alive. We believe God speaks through his word. Uh, that's why people died to have it translated into English and other languages and still give their lives for that. So as I read it, just ask God, say, Lord, what do you want me to hear this morning? It might be one word jumps off the page or as you listen, hits your ears and you think, that's for me. The word shelter, the word rock or one piece of imagery. Don't be frightened of this process. Let God speak to you uh, through his word. So let me read Psalm 27 to you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against, to, against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who shall stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For the day of trouble, in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling place. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me. Answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior, though my father and mother forsake me. The Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I think that must have been a wonderful thing to sing uh, with so many people at the temple in the Old Testament. 
But this is a wonderful song. So a couple of things to say at the beginning. Uh, the first thing you read about Psalm 27 is this is a song by a man named David. It's called a Psalm of David. And your Bible will have that under the title Psalm 27. So straight away we know that the person that wrote this was a real person. This isn't just some song that somebody wrote in a, in a recording studio, an old 3,000-year-old uh, recording studio, just to say something. This is a, a real song written by a real man facing a real situation, talking about hoping in a real God. Most people would agree that when David, who was a king of Israel, wrote this song, it was later in his life. He was older. And so as he writes this song, God's already helped him. God's already delivered him time and time again. But here he is again, needing God's help one more time. This is a man whose heart is secure. Listen to verse 1. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He knows exactly who God is and he trusts him in the moment. It's not just because of what God's done. He knows who God is. Trouble is coming again. You've got all these different analogies of trouble, enemies, slander, accusations. But he knows who his God is. And then verse 13 to 14 at the end of the song. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not later, not when I'm dead and in heaven, but now I believe God's going to deliver me in this life. Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Here is a man whose heart is secure despite the trouble that he faces. Are you going through it this morning? Let me ask a different question. Are you going through it again this morning? Has some problem returned in a way you never thought it would? Has the monster reared its ugly head and it refuses to die? Well, David understood that feeling well, but his heart was full of trust and faith in God. The question this morning is, how can I trust God in my troubles the way David trusted God in his well, let me give you a couple of helps, if you like, different things from this talk, this song, that will help us trust God in hard times. Just a couple of things. I'm not going to tell you how many, because you'll know how long I've got to go. That's a mugs game. Um, but just a couple of things to help you to trust God in difficult moments. And the first thing is that understanding defeats fear. You might think the opposite of fear is trust. But where does trust actually come from? Trust comes from understanding. Trust comes from experience. I look back and I think, well, I trust that thing because I've done it before. Why do I sit on a chair and know I'm not, it's not going to collapse underneath me? Because I've sat on millions of chairs and never once, well, maybe once, it once happened, but never once except that one time has the chair collapsed underneath me. So I have faith in it. I know how it works. I've got knowledge of the, the physics of the little leg and the thing like that and how forces spread around and that kind of thing. Trust comes from understanding. Another aeroplane story, since we're on a roll, and you've already heard this one, but like a tank top from the 70s, it's come back and become fashionable again. Oh no, perhaps not. Tank tops were never fashionable, were they? And if you wore one, shame on you. My mum knitted me a tank top when I was young, actually. I'm from a, I'm from a period of life, young people don't understand this. When I was young, in the, well, I was born in 1978, but in the mid-80s, we didn't have very much money, and my mum knitted a lot of my clothes. And the things she didn't knit, we had second hand. And then when they had holes here and here and on my knees, she found patches. And uh, you don't know how lucky you are in the 21st century. I remember going to the Isle of Wight. Sorry, I've gone off on a massive tangent. <laughs> 
And uh, my mum had knitted, uh, no, she'd, she'd attached leather, brown leather patches to my green jumper, and I just thought, this is the worst day of my life, and all my class pointed it out. I thought, I just, that's it, I've had enough. Anyway, what were we saying? Oh, yes, an aeroplane story. Years ago, we flew to Florida. We were very fortunate to go to Florida as a family, and we went with Andrea's, uh, my wife's parents. And uh, then I was even less confident about flying than I am now. As we took off, as you know, there's various sounds. The wheel was going in, the flaps going up, the engine kind of throttling down and throttling back up. And I was terrified of each and every part of the airplane takeoff experience. And I remember saying to Andrea's dad, that's a weird sound. That shouldn't be happening, should it? And each time he would say to me, he didn't say chill out, but he probably wanted to say that. But he said, no, no, that's the wheels going in. That's the flaps going up. He understood and so therefore he trusted, and that helped me as well. And so this psalm really is David understanding his God and trusting him, even if his situation tells him he can't and shouldn't trust God. Um, so up here you've got, um, there's two key words in, the, in this psalm, the word confident and the word seek, or confidence or confident and seek or seeking. And it's laid out in a particular structure. It's laid out, and you'll be impressed with this, in a chiastic structure, that's right, uh, which basically means it's kind of shaped linguistically like an arrow. Uh, and I've said this before, lots of psalms are laid out like this. And so the first three verses deal with confidence, trusting in God. The last two verses do the same thing. And then the bits in the middle... Uh, two sections both talk of seeking God and it's almost as if we're kind of got a it's like a trajectory I'm confident of God so therefore I seek him when things are hard then you get to 7 to 12 I'm going to keep on seeking God so I can build my confidence in him it kind of takes you on this this really amazing journey I know who God is so therefore I'm going to seek him when everything says I shouldn't but because I know God who God is and because I can seek him I'm going to keep seeking him now And I know my confidence in God is just going to increase and increase and increase. Twice in those opening verses, he talks of who God is. David knows his God. He understands the character of his king, how God worked, his MO, if you like. And that's the basis of his confidence and his trust. He can face evildoers and armies and liars and violence and feel secure because he knows who God is. And therefore, he will seek God no matter what's happening. We may face war in Europe this year. It is a terrifying thought, actually, what's happening with the Ukraine and Russia. And we'll say, no one will go to war. I'm pretty certain they said that 100 years ago. And a bit sooner. Who knows what the future will hold? Jesus himself says, in the last days, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. But you mustn't fear. The end has not yet come how can he say don't be scared of war we could die if he called up who knows could be bombs in london for all we know who knows how things may escalate but the christian can be told don't fear even if that day should come and it will come one way or another something will happen in the world it always does but the christian can be like david and say even if an army advances against me i would trust in god And you think, how can I ever have a faith like that? Well, be like this five-year-old boy that I heard about this week. This five-year-old kid was in the kitchen with his mother as she made soup. She asked him to go into the rather large pantry to get a can of tomato soup. But he refused to go in alone. He said to her, it's dark in there and I'm scared. So she asked again and he persisted again. It's too dark, I'm scared, I don't want to go in there alone. 
Finally, she said, fine, look, listen, it's all right. Jesus will be in there with you. And so Johnny walked hesitantly. All five from Austin's story is good Johnny for some reason. Uh, walked hesitantly to the door of the pantry, opened it slowly, and indeed he saw how dark it was and he thought, no thanks. And just as he started to leave, he had a thought. And so he leant in with his head and he whispered, Jesus, if you are in there, could you hand me a can of tomato soup? <laughs> Actually, that simple childlike faith is all you need. The Russians may destabilize Europe. The Chinese may invade Taiwan. All sorts of other things may well happen. But Jesus, if you're in there, can you give me a can of your peace? Because I need it. Boy, do I need it. That's the first point. Gain, grow in your understanding of God. The second thing to deal with fear is uh, look back to look forward. David is older now. He's a king. But trouble has come back pain has returned. He doesn't fight this new season of pain from within. We love within in the 21st century, don't we? But he trusts only in God. He looks back to what God has done in the past. His language is one of, this is what you did, and now I will continue to trust you. He trusts God because God is worthy to be trusted. Because David can look back and see what God has done in his past. He looks back to earlier. Verse 1, again, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. You don't just arrive one day and come to that conclusion. It's because God has been those things. So he's looking back to the past. He's thinking, this is what God did in the past. And then verse 14, again, those two verses. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. David looks back, and because he knows what God's already done, he can look forward and trust in the future. So if you're a Christian this morning and you're doing it all again, the pain has returned, fear of the future is assaulting you on every side, look back to what God has done in your past. He hasn't changed. It may be painful, but I'm convinced that you only need to have one answered prayer once in your life, and that's enough reason to trust God no matter what comes in the future. But what has God done how has God delivered you in the past? How has God answered your prayers? How has God given you confidence? And go back and say, Lord, I trust you because I can. And if you're not a Christian or you have not got any kind of past to look back on, you're writing a story that's going to help you in years and years to come. And the final point is pursue his presence. Verse 4 to 6, right in the middle. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple, for in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon rock. As David contemplates trouble, he's desperate to go back to Jerusalem, into the holy place in that temple, or near that holy place, and be in the presence of God. He longs to be where God is. But also he knows that God's presence can be with him in trouble no matter where he is. He seeks and repeats and he's desperate for the presence of God. To defeat fear, simply, you must pursue the presence of God through worship, through prayer, through looking at his word, meditating on his word, through being together with each other on a Sunday morning in other ways. We must pursue God because his presence is there to enter 
who must seek him, search for him, we will find him. Let me read you a quote. I've been reading this book. Um, those of you who don't know Matt Redman, Matt Redman uh, wrote with uh, another guy uh, the song 10,000 Reasons. We've sung it about 10,000 times in this church. Um, no, that's my fault because I always used to pick it. Um, and it's a wonderful song about having a hard time, struggling, the hope of heaven, the hope of God's deliverance. And I was reading this just this morning, and this is all about Matt's uh, early life and how it was being in worship, being in the presence of God that saved him. So I read, it's kind of long. It says, my teenage years became the most turbulent of my life. And these songs of hope and worship became a lifeline. This is coming to church and worshiping, by the way. I was 13 years old and I was being abused. After the abuse began, I found myself increasingly drawn to worship. I discovered that not only was the throne room of God a place of reverence, but it was also the ultimate place of refuge. It was my hiding place. Sometimes in that season, nothing else seemed to make sense. But somehow this place of worship always did. Even when everything else in my world felt, felt as though it was breaking and shaking apart. Even though there was so much instability, a lot of pain and a lot of confusion. I knew I had one place I could run to. Worship was a constant in my life. A place where I could hang out that wasn't subject to change. It was a place of security and serenity. It was a place where I knew I could find Jesus ruling and reigning over my life in love and stability. He was the unshakable. Once at one, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there with him, I finally felt as though I could breathe. And though I didn't understand why I was being abused, somehow these worship songs reminded me that I had not been abandoned. And so, let me finish. Where do you go for strength? Where do you go when you fear? Our world really prizes self-help. It prizes inner strength. We say all the time, be the real you. Find strength from within to find and defeat the things that attack you. And without being unkind, that's the worst advice you could ever give someone. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm broken... I'm broken. And I'm broken because there's nothing left. And where do you go when there's nothing left? And of course the answer is to trust in God. God is the only one that we can pour our brokenness into and towards. He's the only one that can knit us together like he did in our mother's wombs. People say, you are your scars, be proud of them. I say, let God wipe them off. Let him restore you. Let him take away that fear. The bombs may rain. The abuse may continue. The hurt may hurt. But in that moment, in that place of presence, in that trust, in that history, there can be peace and there can be deliverance. Let's just spend a moment. Let's just shut our eyes for a second. Um, if you're not used to um, doing this sort of thing, please don't feel uncomfortable. But just let's just shut our eyes for a moment. We're going to sing... Um, a song in a moment, maybe just, um, yeah, maybe we'll have them both. But before we sing our final two songs, just in that moment, just think about maybe what just I read from Matt Redman, that story of going through a hard time, but just finding the presence of God and trusting in him, even though his life was so unstable. And just think, 
What areas of your life are unstable this morning? Where is that fear? Is it dominating you? Do you believe that if you cling hard enough, you can keep everything up in the air where it should be? Are you searching for some magical corner of your life where you think you've got a bit more strength to get over it and to go forward? What if there isn't any more left? Will you just pour it out to God? Maybe just in the silence, I'll stop talking. Maybe just pray prayers like, Lord God, here I am. I am broken. I am fearful. Lord, I am carrying baggage that I don't want to anymore. Lord God, I have nothing left to give. Lord, I want to just let go of it. I want to put it down. Lord, I'm sick of being proud of my brokenness. I want you to clean it off. I want you to wash me clean. Just speak like that in your heart to the King of Kings and let him work in your life now. Father God, I pray that you'd heal, heal this morning. You'd restore, you'd sanctify, you'd make clean. Lord, I pray for those who are frightened. And Lord, maybe there's even words in things that I've read or said, Father, that have really, really hit the heart, Father. Situations that people are going through. Lord, I know that so much of what uh, people are going through this morning, having heard stories and uh, just knowing the church, Father. Lord, so many in this room, Lord, and watching at home, Lord, need deliverance and restoration. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit right now to fall upon us. That, Lord, you'd touch our hearts. That, Lord, you'd restore us. You'd bless us. May we be convinced, Lord, in this moment, Lord, that you are the stable one. You're our foundation that we can trust in. Lord, let us be brave enough to let go of us and grab on to you. Lord, if we're going to cling to something to get through it, Lord, it shouldn't be an aeroplane seat. It should be you. And Lord, I pray that we will cling on to you this morning. Lord, bless everyone in this room and at home, I beg you. I pray, Lord, for healing and deliverance and restoration. Lord, may everyone here know just how much you love them, that you sent your son. He was nailed to a cross so that we could have forgiveness and everlasting life. There is nothing more to say except that, Lord. His death and resurrection is the be-all and the end-all. There's no other book to read. There's no other course to attend except knowing that story better and knowing that Savior more personally. We just commit this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.